Hey guys, Brandon here. We'll get you to the show in just a second. And if you want to listen to that 90s baseball pod early and ad-free, make sure to sign up at patreon.com slash that 90s baseball pod. Subscribers at any level get the show as soon as it's created, early and ad-free. Now, for our sponsors, we have eParade, which is reasonably priced, trendy kitchenware. That's E-P-A-R-E dot com. Promo code 10T90BP10. So that 90s baseball pod, T90BP, with 10 on either side. Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app, is the stock market for sports. If you use the promo code Bender, you get a free week of Symbol Gold. Hinterland Coffee in Minnesota is a freshly roasted coffee experience every single week. Monthly subscriptions get 10% off. Go to hinterlandmn.com. Three-star sports cards, you can find them online or in person in Bloomington on Lindale Avenue or in Little Canada on Rice Street or threestarsportscards.com. And finally, Humility Chains. Royce Lewis's mom, Cindy, makes stylish, affordable chains and necklaces and bracelets that go, uh, the proceeds go directly to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer. So a portion, again, of those proceeds go to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer cancer more than 20 styles of chains and bracelets are available they're affordable they look great i'm wearing mine right now i highly recommend them it's humility chains on etsy so look up etsy and then search for humility chains and now on to your show It's Thanksgiving week, and you are listening to That 90s Baseball Pod. I am your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And my co-host, who also I'm assuming is preparing for Thanksgiving, is Mr. Greg Olson. You can find him on Twitter at Greg with two Gs, O-L-S-O-N 30. How are we doing today, man? I'm good. How about yourself? Happy holidays. Yeah, no kidding. And we decided to go with a podcast extravaganza today we took last week off and we figured it'd be hard to get into the podcasting spirit with um you know with thanksgiving coming up later in the week so we're going to do another remembering some guys with a bit of a twist but trying something new here and it has nothing to do with the podcast but um see if i can see if i can get my sidekick to jump up here This is this is obviously making for compelling audio and video, but he's um, he's not interested right now. But uh, like you've had Tank on the show here, I'm sure Rocco will make an appearance at some point. He is not 
in his kennel and he is not encumbered by the lockdown shackles. So he may chime in. He's pretty busy with his lunch and then a beef jerky stick that I got him at the, at the pet smart yesterday nice. during puppy classes. So we'll see, maybe he won't chime in at all. And that will be just dandy. But when, uh, when I was prepping for earlier, there were neighbor dogs that were barking and he was getting pretty wound up. So we'll see, but we have another fun show again to check out all our, our sponsors. You hear it at the top of the show. Um, e parade symbol hinterland, all that fun stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are, as I noted, going to go back to remembering some guys. And if you like this feature, feel free to let us know. I know I got strong, positive feedback. You had someone who wasn't so sure how they feel about it. And again, in the future, this will, this will just be probably bonus content. And so if people want to see it, they can seek it out, but it is a nice little fun thing for the holiday week. And, and today we have 1990 upper deck. It's a, it's a green box. If you're, if you're watching on the feed here on YouTube, but um, kind of rude. They have Ken Griffey Jr. on the front of here, but not the 1989 Rookie of the Year, the guy who beat him out. Isn't that kind of kind of upsetting? Yeah, I guess I never really thought about it at the time. You know, I mean, he was he was such a phenom star that you just kind of went, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> unacceptable. But we have uh, the first pack here, and we'll get through however many packs. Maybe it'll be one pack. Maybe it'll be half a pack. Maybe it'll be three packs. Um, I'm kind of interested, though, because uh, – there are a couple interesting cards in this pack that you can get. Um, it was like a Reggie Jackson, something or other, and, uh, and a few other ones. So the, the wrinkle that I like here is I haven't seen these. You haven't seen these. We're just rolling with it. Now, again, that's how I did the last time. I didn't look at them ahead of time to prepare you. But this is the added wrinkle of people will 100% trust us because I just opened it on the air. So our first card is uh, utility man, pinch hitter extraordinaire, Lenny Harris. Now uh, at this point, not a huge big league career. He had played for the Reds and the Dodgers. So um, when he was coming up, you wouldn't have faced him until interleague play, at least not early in his career, but um, <clears throat> anything on, on Lenny Harris? Thought we were teammates later on in '98. Uh, excuse me, '99 with the Diamondbacks. Take a look here. In 1999 and 2000, he was with the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Uh, nice little run there, pinch hitting for yeah, really. probably probably Andy Fox and uh, I don't know who else he would have pinch hit for. Maybe Tony Womack. But uh, and then the yeah. pitcher, of course. Solid, uh, solid pinch hitter. You know, defensive replacement every once in a while but uh, really solid pinch hitter well and let's talk about a guy who had 1.7 career baseball reference war and again we've talked about war here and there do you have any idea how many different seasons he played in the big leagues i bet you're gonna guess uh too low well i mean we got 90 to 2000 and i don't remember much before that so uh, we're gonna go 12 18 did he really? Yeah. So he came up and debuted in 88. So the year you were drafted and then finished it off with uh, the 2005 Florida Marlins. I, I can't imagine they were a very good team. Uh, 83 and That's 79 under, under Trader Jack. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's 57 years old and he's played in the last 15, 16 years. That's, 
that's pretty cool. Um, really know, impressive. Wow. And as near as I could, yeah, zero games in the American League because when he was in Milwaukee, uh, it was towards the end of his career when they had moved to the, the National League. So um, never more than seven years in one spot, never an OPS over six. Uh, oh, I guess Milwaukee was okay. But yeah, 667 OPS must have been a good clubhouse guy uh, if you're going to hang around that long in addition to having the skill of pinch hitting. No, he's a solid, solid, solid dude. Yeah, yeah that'll do it. Uh, here is our second one. I'm going to try to get good at putting these up against the camera because I, I don't think I've figured that skill out yet. Um, <laughs> this is Scott Geralt. And by this point he was, um, he was just, he had a really nice year in 1989. We'll talk about that. But with San Francisco, um, if you have a story about him, I might be surprised just cause you guys were in separate leagues. I did not. I got nothing on him. <laughs> I don't think I'd met him. And, uh, Seemed like he was a pretty decent player on that San Francisco team that uh, yeah, won the World Series. 89, they lost in four to the A's. That was the uh, Earthquake Series, wasn't it, in 89? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he led the National League in ERA that year. He made 30 appearances, 29 starts, 193 and a third innings, which back then was probably no big deal, but um, – 14 wins and a 228 ERA, sixth place in the Cy Young Award, 20th in MVP. Now, again, MVP voting outside of the top few is kind of weird because sometimes it's, um, you know, writers from San Francisco voting for San Francisco guys and all that. But um, let's see, NL Cy Young. Mark Davis won it that year. Yeah. Um, San Diego. Then, yep. Uh, as a reliever, holy smoke, 65 games, finished 44 saves, 92 and two thirds innings. He was striking out exactly, almost exactly a guy per inning. Um, then you have Mike Scott, Greg Maddox, Oral Hershiser. I think Hershiser's inning streak was the year before that. Um, yeah, that was 88. Yeah, Joe McGrain and then Tim Belcher and Geralt's were tied. Uh, that's an impressive season for a guy that I feel like we have not heard that much about. No, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know how much longer you, you'll have to pull up and see how much longer he played after that. It didn't seem like it was. Didn't seem like it was very long. He was done before he was thirty. He threw so what I say, one hundred ninety some innings that year. He only had two hundred and one and two thirds more innings in his career. Two more seasons, and then, um, you know, chances are probably some kind of injury bug at that uh, at that rate. Sounds like you're getting after Tank here. Yeah, he's eating the uh, bushes. Yeah, we, we got one of those, too. Every time I take him outside, he's chomping on the perennials, and it's driving me yeah. crazy, driving me crazy. He likes um, them, though. Well, it's a little different here. It was a, So it was a two-coffee morning, yes. and it's probably going to be another coffee this afternoon, but uh, it's actually up to 51 degrees. It was about 17 yesterday when I got up and about 23 this morning. Um, it's a little chillier here, so our plants are in a different state than yours, I'm sure. Yeah, ours, uh, we had a nice warm front, and they all blossomed. And, nice. And um, now we're getting the fall weather where it's 50s, and it looks kind of weird having all your rose bushes blossomed. <laughs> but I, I suspect you'll have something on this guy. It's uh, Detroit outfielder Chet Lemon. And so um, I talked about Bob Lemon a while back, and you mistook me for saying Chet Lemon or talking about Chet Lemon. Lemon was the – Bob Lemon was the pitcher. Chet Lemon was the outfielder. 
um, longtime Detroit Tiger and uh, Chicago White Sox. I didn't know about the White Sox days. That was a little before I started paying attention. Seems like I remember the White Sox, solid, solid player, solid hitter. Um, don't know if I ever faced him. Uh, 80, 88, 89. So 89 and 90 were his last two years with Detroit before he hung it up. But, um, he played for 16 years. Nice career. Uh, almost 60 war. So maybe one of the more underrated outfielders of all time. Cause again, you know, you don't hear a lot of, uh, a lot about him as one of the best outfielders of that era. He had a 60 war 55.6. Now this is baseball reference fan graphs might differ, but usually the, the error bar is between four and five for a career that long, which is pretty impressive. Uh, got hit by a lot of pitches 20 times one season. Um, <laughs> all-star in 84 with that awesome 84 Tigers team that might be the best. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he said one of the best teams in, our, in well, not in my lifetime. That was before I was born, but certainly in the last uh, generation or two here. Um, yeah, he is good for like an 800, 850 OPS year in and year out. That's um, that's no joke for back in those days when 20, 25 home runs, you know, was uh, was more notable than it is now. Absolutely agree. Yeah, 2025 bombs. You were a serious threat at the plate. When I, when I started watching too, like 93, it was, uh, you know, Juan Gonzalez and those guys hit 40. But everybody else, like your Mickey Tettletons, I remember watching him a lot just because – he seemed to always be playing against the twins. Um, you know, when he'd hit 20, I was like, wow, 20 home runs. That's a, that's a lot of home runs. Kirby Puckett only hits that many and, and Ken Herbeck sometimes yeah. hits that many. So, um, you know, all about expectations and what you see, but it was a much different game that we were watching back in the eighties and the nineties than it is now. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know what I saw on Twitter with uh, somebody was talking about Willie Stargell's home run at the vet and how far and how high it was. And, then somebody else commented, I think it was Wes Clements, who, who played in the big leagues for a little bit, um, said something about, yeah, that wasn't even with the Super Bowl, you know, the Super Bowl days where the, um, it changed the dynamic of the baseball quite a bit to create the action. See, and I thought you were going to come up with like a launch angle or exit velocity reference because uh, <laughs> you're you're at least an honorary member of She Gone Nation if you're not um, – if you're not an outright member, I've seen you in those tags. Now, Mr. Jeff Fry, who was on our last show, is pretty liberal with the tags. Um, Bob File and you and uh, not Gaetti. I don't know who that is, but he follows me. Um, but uh, a lot of fun out there. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good group of dudes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Chet Lemon, really nice career. Uh, could swipe a, nah, not too many bags, but he could. Oh, my goodness. Actually, I take that back. 58 steals, 76 caught stealing. You're not letting that guy run. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. Uh, let's move on. Um, Carlos Martinez, in this one, he's a Chicago White Sox uh, infielder. I feel like I remember him with Cleveland, but I'm not sure. I'm check it out. I think, he, I think he got over to Cleveland. He, uh, I think he was one of the few guys that just wore me out. Not only That's that, it. but... Not the not the Carlos Martinez we're thinking of the uh, Mr. Tsunami who's a free agent right now after spending all that time with the Cardinals, the young righty yeah. from yeah he's a free agent now. Um, his arm might well be shot. Uh, gives me a little bit of a uh, Chris Archer vibe at this point in his career. But um, 
So you say this Carlos Martinez cat wore you out seven years in the big leagues, 383 hits. And you figure about half of those came off you. Well, I'm, I'm giving him like a three for three or three for four. Sure. Yeah. Still, I mean, uh, right. go ahead. Guy, well, no, the guy could move around and, and he played a little bit all over, but yeah, he, um, he was one of those 275, 300 at bat kind of guy per year. So not really a starter, but you know, Cleveland in those days in the infield, um, even at the early times, wasn't easy to crack playing time with Tomei playing third and eventually um, Bayerga at second, Vizquel at short. And then uh, who they have at third after that Fryman. Yeah. So, I mean, it was yeah. not, not an easy team to crack. He wrapped it up with the angels in 1995. Um, pretty quiet, uninspiring numbers, but uh, definitely a baseball card. I remember having like in a 1993 or 92 tops or maybe a Don Russ. Huh. Um, yeah. Pretty quiet <laughs> career. Oh, he's actually since passed away too. I was not aware of that. Is he really? Yeah. 2006. So not recently. Wow. wow. I, I was completely unaware of that. Yeah, I was too. Speaking of that, we lost uh, Doug Jones and I meant- Bill Burton. I meant to bring up Doug Jones. Uh, so one of a, I, I don't have the number in front of me of how many guys have 300 career saves. You yourself are uh, over 200, but not to 300. But um, wh- what was your relationship like? He landed some of the places you did. Just it didn't look like you guys crossed paths in the sense of like before or after you. But um, what well, was he a changeup guy? What was the deal? Because I heard they called him mild thing. Yeah, it was it was uh, you know sinker changeup for the most part. He had a breaking ball. I can't tell you which one, slider or curveball, but sure. Um, filthy changeup, you know, solid sinker, located really well. Never walked a guy. Uh, never really beat himself, and just kind of one of those where it was a whole bunch of ground balls and, and frustrating at bats and and. Um, I didn't realize that, like, again, on social media, somebody said that at one point he had the team record for most saves in a season for three teams. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was Astros, Indians, and I don't know where the other one was. I don't remember what the other one was. Let's take a but, look. Uh, thoroughly impressive. I met, him, I met him at the All-Star Game in 1990. Great guy. We had uh, probably Milwaukee. That might have been it. That was it. Brewers. Thir- 36 in 1997. Um, pretty cool relationship with a lot of the closers in the league because we were all going through the same thing and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, all could relate and, and really didn't have anybody else in the world that uh, could relate to what we did and what we were going through. So when you saw – you know, see Doug Jones or Jeff Russell or Eckersley out in the outfield during batting practice. Mm-hmm. Always stop by, said hello, talk for a couple minutes, see how everything was, and feel like kind of feel like it's it's a weird fraternity in the sense that uh, it's viewed as an important job, but finding guys who spend a long time doing it, there there aren't that many. You know, you might have a guy pop up like I'm just trying to think. Um, let's say Derek Turnbow for the Brewers pops up and he's good for two years or Billy Koch or yeah. Matt Manti to, you know, go drive it home with someone you were working with. Um, then you've got the guys that do it for 10 or 12 years or a guy like Jones. I feel like too, there, 
there was this transitionary period where, um, you know, we don't have radar gun readings for Eckersley, but I can't imagine he was blowing people away. He was great control, big wipeout slider. Did he have big velocity or am I remembering wrong? No, you know. Like 92, 93? I'll go 89, 90. Yeah, and it, it wasn't a time when every closer was blowing people away. You had guys like Doug Jones. You had guys like yeah. – um, well, it, it, it kind of transitioned, I want to say, uh, probably like Jose Mesa. He had a he had a big velo, didn't he? He had a, yeah, he had a, a mid-90s fastball, a little bit of a breaking ball, but it was mostly fastball, you know, yeah. attack. How about uh, like Arthur Rhodes? Um, I'm trying this is these are guys I remember as a kid thinking they threw hard because radar guns weren't such a big deal. Uh, eventually Armando Benitez and all those yeah. guys started you know, throwing the crap out of the ball, but there was a transitional period where not every reliever threw 95 and you had guys like Jones and uh, even Todd Jones too. Um, oh, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, but a bunch of relievers who, who did not throw the crap out of the ball. Eddie Gordado here was another one who uh, you just yeah. take the ball in the ninth with, uh, uh, you know, a couple of, a uh, couple of nuts in your cup and let's go. Well, Trevor Hoffman's probably the best example that we could give. I mean, especially recently, maybe, 88 89 just you know an unbelievable change up yeah um you know very talented very competitive you know really good athlete that was able to get guys out consistently in the ninth inning yeah well yeah so it was too bad to hear about mr jones because uh, i think i heard it might have been covid related we're not going to obviously say much about that but um you know Always, always tough to see another one. And then you said, um, you say Bill Verdon. Yeah, Bill Verdon. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know anything about him. Coach, I, I think he managed. Uh, oh, was that the Astros? Was he? Did I see a picture of him with the Astros? Yeah, but yeah, I think, uh, Pittsburgh Pirate in the fifties. Um, my dad got talking to him quite a bit at some of the coaches' conventions when Bill would be, you know, doing instruction. And I can't think of who the other player was, but in the World Series, I mean, they were so known for their hit and run. And Verdon was the hitter, and I can't think of who the leadoff guy was. It was on first base quite a bit during the season. Let's take a look. Um, but the story that Bill, Bill Verdon told was that, you know, they were so good at the hit and run that the manager never put it on, that he would put it on at the plate. Sounds like Fry. And, yeah, and so he would touch his helmet or do something, you know, So and everybody knew it was coming. And so at one point in the World Series, he touches his helmet, didn't, you know, didn't wait for the return or didn't get a return. And so one of them missed the hit and run. So the guy steals, you know, and, and gets this big stolen base during the game. Well, it was supposed to be a hit and run, but it was just funny the way the story was told. And it was – a lot like Jeff Fry said that, you know, <laughs> back in back in the 60s, 50s, 40s, these guys were putting on their own game and playing their game. And and it's just kind of fun to think about. That was uh, that was the Mazeroski World Series in 1960. Yep. Um, running through some names here. Uh, we got Bob Skinner, Don Hoke or Dick Grote are kind of the guys I'm I'm suspecting. One of those three is uh, the name that's escaping you because. It looked like Verdon hit either leadoff or second for most of that season, right around those guys. So I wonder um, if it was Grote. 
Yeah. Uh, Groat got on base a lot. 371 on base. Uh, number one of all the guys. Uh, Don Hoke walked 74 times. So that's another one. But huh. um, let's see. Well, and you're probably, yeah, you probably want to know which guys are stealing bags too. Uh, Groat had zero steals and two caught stealings, but maybe that was one of the caught stealing that he's, uh, he's thinking yeah. of. I can't um, think of what it was. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. It was just a funny story of, you know, that's one of his memories of going through in the World Series. Huh. Well, and then, yeah, ba- Mazeroski probably, um, you know, not probably known for that and only that as a player, his home run in the World Series. But um, here's a guy that uh, I, I know we've talked about, and he wore everybody out. Wasn't quite at that level yet, but uh, Mr. Edgar Martinez. Oh, check man. out, check out that bodacious fork duster on his upper lip, though. That's uh, that's a good stash. That's special. Um, what was the deal there? Uh, he got blocked at third base, but it didn't seem like he was really blocked by anybody in particular. Um, I don't know if Mike Blowers was at third. It wasn't Russ Davis yet. Uh, that's a little too no. too late. Um, or was it just that he couldn't pick it up over there? It was it was Blowers for a bit. Mainly, it was just I, I just don't think he was a great fielder at third base, to be you know brutally honest. Yeah. First base, first base, they had Pete O'Brien, then Tino Martinez. Um, trying to yeah. think who they had at, the mid nineties. Um. So in ninety, he started one hundred and forty four games. So he's starting to get in there. Um, Jim Presley. Yeah. So I, I don't know much about Presley. He was in his mid to late twenties at that point. Um, you know, I don't know if he was a great dude. He was my, he was uh, my hitting coach with the diamondbacks, 98, 99. over with Buck Walter. Well, it's always funny to look at the stat lines for hitting coaches, for instance, uh, 275 on base in this season. But a lot of, a lot of times it's the, if you can't do you teach or, or whatever, and I don't know how true yeah. that is in baseball, but um, also too to hear a, a closer talk about his hitting coach is kind of fun. Uh, I, I love, <laughs> I love, I love Presley. My 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 Jim Presley memory is, um, I think I came in for a mop up game in Seattle, and he had a line drive off my glove hand wrist, oof, and it ended up bouncing into the home dugout on AstroTurf for a ground rule double. No kidding. So probably. If we had Statcast, one of the shortest doubles in MLB history of uh, fifty-eight, it's make a, yeah, fifty-eight it's feet. Make well, fifty-eight feet, but then the the return was uh, maybe another seventy-five feet to get into the dugout. Yeah, but I don't know how much credit they give you for a deflection when it comes to uh, distance on a batted ball. I, I think it probably went further off you than it did off the bat. You did more of the work. He should probably thank you for that. Oh, it, uh, yeah, that one had to go get x-rays after the game. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. Did, uh, brief aside, and we got to talk about Edgar a little more too. Uh, did you like playing on turf? Cause I would imagine in some respects having grounders that were predictable would be nice, but, um, you know, it's, it's obviously not, uh, <laughs> true and it doesn't play true always in the sense of, uh, like grass would. Yeah. You know, I, I I felt like I felt like it's it sped up the ground ball, so balls got through that necessarily wouldn't okay. have. Um, yeah, you take away the little component about the errors, but seeming like places like Kansas City that was more built on concrete. Yeah. Um, same with 
I felt like the Astros, you know, I felt like the Minnesota was a little bit softer, you know, and I might've been wrong, but you know, I'm thinking of Kansas city and some places that the turf was just thin and fast. Why, why did outdoor stadiums have turf? Like, Oh, so I know, uh, didn't, I think for a minute, the Astros tried grass in the Astrodome with a clear roof and it all wilted. If I'm remembering correctly from one of the yeah. books I read as a kid, but why would an outdoor stadium have turf? That to me just does not add up. I, the only thing I can think of is weather. Um, the heat in Kansas city, maybe. Well, yeah, you got the heat. Uh, you can I'm clear it off too. Of- if you get, if you get snow for some reason in Kansas city, you can clear it off pretty fast. I just felt like I, I just felt like it was the weather, but you know, I mean, St. Louis was always turf long ago, long, long ago. Um, Kansas City <laughs> was always turf. And then you had Toronto, Minnesota, Seattle. We're uh, missing one more, I think. I, I might be wrong, but they all felt like they were just hot, fast. You know, and I don't I don't understand why the outdoor ones did, but that's funny that uh, the Astrodome did. I remember I remember reading that as well. At some point, the Astrodome tried to do grass. And that was what with the problem when Arizona initially, you know, they got the grass in late at the end of it. So the uh, bank one ballpark or whatever it's called now, we won't go into <laughs> that again. Um Whatever it was called, it was it was running. I don't know. I don't think it was running behind. But it was like the, the infield, the grass was the last thing to be put on. They couldn't keep this, you know, 20 by 20 yard patch out in left field. They couldn't keep it alive to save their lives. I mean, they're, they're, they got the heating lamps out at night. They got their water <laughs> in it all the time. And it was just like one patch after another was dying and they could never figure it out. Sounds like my lawn this summer in Minnesota when it was 90 every day. But um, did you did you guys call Bank One the Bob? I know I had a friend who lived out there and called it the Bob, but is that more a fan thing or was it a, an actual widespread thing? I think we called it Bob. Okay. You know. Um... So let's uh, let's talk about Edgar for a minute here. Um, not a, I mean, he could hit home runs, but he wasn't Ken Griffey Jr. It was doubles. Like, I feel like a guy could hit 50 doubles or 45 doubles in his sleep. Um, in that sense, he was kind of a non-traditional uh, designated hitter. But at the same time, too, he was just such a good hitter that you would definitely have to find a place for him, right? Oh, dude could rake. Um, I was happy to see him get in the Hall of Fame because he, he was that type of player. I know a lot of people argue about the DH going in. But um, the dude, the dude, you could just flat out rake. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of bombs. He could, he could hit them if needed, or they, they would come, you know, at opportune times. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think your, your call is right. Double machine, solid, just a solid three, three twenty, three thirty hitter almost every year. It felt like. And I feel like I, he hit that double down the left field line that scored Griffey in '95. I want to say. Yeah, like the, the quintessential Edgar double, you know, peeling it into a corner or uh, running the gap. I mean, doubles come in all different shapes and forms, but um, I felt like the quintessential one, he'd just pull it with authority and then Cadillac it into second because he's in there easily. But um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, let's move on to another one here. Uh, Milwaukee outfielder and Milwaukee was in the American League at this time. So you might have seen this guy, uh, Glenn Braggs. 
Yeah. Oh, I try I got him mixed up with somebody else. Probably Darren Bragg. Talking, I'm thinking Darren. Is it Glenn? All right, give me what we got on Glenn's stats because I'm thinking one of them. Well, Dar- uh, Darren, light, Darren light Bragg, hitting, light hitting outfielder. Darren Bragg played for the Red Sox in the mid '90s and was, uh, I think, he was a leadoff type, um, probably a center fielder, but uh, not, um, not a bad player per se. Uh, Glenn no, Bragg. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Glenn Bragg and somebody else with the Brew Crew of that era mixed up. One was a power hitter. The other one was a light hitting uh, pinch running. So defense. Yeah. Braggs Braggs was the, the light hitting one. Um, 370 slugging percentage in, in 1989. So the year that we were going into these cards, um, 86 through the beginning of 90. Let's see uh, who would have been the power guy you're thinking of. Let's see, uh, Cecil Cooper was pretty, no, nope. pretty far along by that point. Wasn't was John like, Jaha? Was not? Uh, I'm thinking like Chuck Carr. Oh no! But he's uh, later and fast. He never had any any semblance of power. I mean, otherwise, you know, it's Robin Yount, Rob Deere, Ben Ogilvie. Um, you know, you're talking about big power. Go, uh, maybe go two years later. So we're talking like 91 or 92? 92, 92, 93. Uh, well, Matt Miski was on those teams. Um, nope. Let's see, 92 gets us to the post-Molitor era. Uh, Dante Bichette, probably not him, obviously, but... Uh, no. Greg Vaughn. Uh, Daryl Hamilton. Nope. He could really play, though. Um, Tim McIntosh, a friend of mine who's from the... Twin Cities area. Uh, let's see, 93, you've got Juan Bell, Alex Diaz, Matt Miski, Troy O'Leary. No, I got nothing then. Boy, we're uh, my imagination. We're just swinging and missing here with Glenn Braggs. Turner Ward, maybe? I don't know. No. He could no. run too. Turn, Turner was one of my favorite people to face on the face of the earth. So uh, I, I definitely remember him. <laughs> uh yeah, so I mean, either way though, we're we're talking about Glenn Braggs. We'll, we'll backtrack a little bit here. Looked like he could. Uh, he looked like he was pretty decent. Not not a huge standout, obviously. Um, you know, in that era of Milwaukee, you're going to be overshadowed by Robin Yount and Paul Molitor. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't the wall bangers anymore. It was. Uh, well, what uh, Cirillo came in in like ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, and by that and- time, Braggs was gone. Yeah, they had John Jaha who had a couple big years. Yeah, I remember he had the Jaha had the weirdest stance. I felt like I, his legs were kind of closed or whatever, but he held the bat high at big time power. And um, yeah, he the the reason I remember so much about him is because he played in in Scott Erickson's no hitter in 1994, which I probably watched over and over and over again on videotape when I was about nine years old. And uh, so actually I got to talk to Scott Leis about it in person because um, when, I met, when I met Scott Leis, it was at the UPS store that I managed because he lives in, in the Twin Cities now. And he, he, he says, uh, I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And when you're a guy who, you know, you played on a World Series, but you didn't play for very long and you weren't a star, they give you kind of this funny look when you say you're a big fan. And then uh, he's got that gruff kind of Yonkers, New York 
external personality. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You got you caught that line drive uh, first out of Scott Erickson's no-hitter. And immediately it just melted. And he's like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he looks at me and he says, uh, I think he looks at me and says, Billy Spires or something like that, like whoever hit it. And at that point, we, we were actually pretty uh, pretty good buddies. But, um, <laughs> but I tell you, if you want to tell a, a, a guy who was in the big leagues and didn't be a star – that you're a big fan. You got to have some kind of equity because otherwise they're going to see right through you. No, I got, I got to, I got to kind of look at it and go, you know, I appreciate that because you're not a big star in the big leagues and somebody recognizes you out in the middle of nowhere, then um, <coughs> without, without a name, you know, yeah. it's not like if you walked up and said, uh, picking something up for Leas, and then you kind of went, you know, all right, one thing, but just to see him stand in there and pull him out, uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so he, he was definitely impressed. Um, <coughs> had, a, had a few different guys come through like that. Uh, did you did you say you – am I remembering correctly? You said you were a Vikings fan? Yeah, grew up uh, Fran Tarkington, Ahmad Rashad, Chuck Foreman. So even, even still to this day, like, are you happy? You're wearing purple, I see, kind of. Um, they beat the Packers right. this weekend. They did. It's kind of magenta. Ah, uh, it's uh, it looks purple from here. But um, Everson Griffin came into my UPS store one time too, so I got to meet him. That was that was pretty fun. But this right. is not that 2000s football podcast. This is that 90s baseball pod. Uh, we got a checklist. The fun thing about checklists is um, they basically just tell you which guys from the team have cards, what number they are. Um, this is a 1990 Cleveland checklist. I want to see who you think it would be. Cleveland. So we got um, a big star, not for Cleveland. Okay. He was a good player. Uh, one of the most iconic World Series moments of all time. Oh, Joe Carter. Yes, very good. I, I love it. We got a Joe Had Carter a, uh, checklist. How about a Joe Carter? Uh, my rookie year, so in 89, we're in Cleveland in um, that big old – crappy stadium <laughs> and Sunday day game. I think it was really before I started closing, but Mark Williamson was closing the game out. We're up, we're up two to one or it's two to two bottom of the ninth guy on third base. And Joe Carter lays down a perfect drag, butt, froze. Every, yeah. Froze <laughs> everybody in the yard for a game winning drag, butt knock. Wait, what year was this? 88. It had to be 89. He had two bunts all year and then not another one until 92 and then not another one for the rest of his career. So either after this story, he either had one or two more big league bunts in him. So that's impressive. Yeah. Two outs, bottom of the ninth game, tying, winning run on third, and he drops a butt. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah he's pretty solid. He was the kind of guy who would lead the league and sacrifice flies, but not sacrifice bunts, played – 162 games, three seasons in a row. Um, probably wouldn't be as appreciated in today's game with his uh, impatience. But, uh, boy, he could smack the ball. Um, confession time, since we're talking about Cleveland, I have never seen Major League. You're kidding me. I know. I get that a lot. Uh, I would tell people I'd never seen Slapshot because I'm from a – like one of the most important hockey towns in the entire nation. So I've never seen Slapshot. Um, okay, never what? Se- 
Yeah, right. And I've never seen For Love of the Game. Yeah. I've never seen um, Bull Durham. Oh my! Do you okay? You, you know what? You, you're losing all credibility with anybody right. that might ever listen to this. Well, yeah, that's that's the '90s. <clears throat> like, like I've watched Little Big League and Angels in the Outfield, but um, you watched the two worst of the whole badge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure you're a big fan of Rookie of the Year too, aren't you? It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, I like I like movies that 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 get the spirit of baseball. So like I don't I don't like the cartoonish whatever I mean it because I am passionate and wrote like like Billy Bean says how can you not well Brad Pitt how can you not be romantic about baseball I like the games that the movies that stick to the game in terms of the 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 way it works for the most part as much as you can in a movie but um, so I've had people tell me trouble with the curve is absolute garbage and and all that stuff but uh, yeah my my baseball movie knowledge is extremely limited field of dreams is number one for me and a lot of people a lot of people now it's kind of the hip thing to crap all over field of dreams as feel good nonsense but um actually the guy who played chick gandal in that movie just passed away a couple days ago yeah he was great um babe ruth too he was babe ruth and he was uh, in sandlot yeah yeah so he He, was he was he was a great character actor but he wasn't so Character actor, and then in a lot of baseball things, he must have had a baseball face. They talk about he's got the baseball face. He must have had the baseball face. What was he? Wasn't he the Tooth Fairy in Santa Claus too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Those guys make plenty of money with those little bit parts. I'm sure. So, uh, yeah. but Field yeah, of Dreams is good. Like, yeah, you know we got we got to get back to you. Need to see Major League. Yeah. It. Um, Baseball wise, yeah, it leaves a little bit out there. You're not going to obviously win the AL East with a team that got picked up and would, you know, get ridden over by a bus. But yeah, um, you know, it's a pretty good. It's fun to watch. It's funny because it's all. I think they might have one other stadium in there. They always they, they play at uh, Old County Stadium in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Is most of, is most of the baseball stuff. Then they act like they go on this road trip to Cleveland and they change the vantage point. So now they're up, up behind home plate up top and it's still, it's still Milwaukee. It's just <laughs> now they're doing this one shot where, you know, an actual game's finishing up. Um, I love, I love major league. It's just, it's just kind of comical. I had the, I had wild thing as my theme song, my whole, but first three or four years in Baltimore. Nice. Uh, let's see. Um, for the love of the games, probably my baseball, my favorite baseball movie, and that's Costner, right? That's Costner. Yeah, really, well, really well done baseball scenes. Outfielder uh, Tuttle was um, uh, outfielder for LSU. Yeah, we talked about that. I, his name yeah. is escaping me, but uh... yeah, Michael Papa John. Yeah, Papa John. I knew, I knew it was a name. My sister-in-law. Yeah. I knew that the name Papa John, I'd have to remember that. Uh, Character of the game. And then um, then Slapshot might be one of the funniest movies. The Hanson brothers and old-time hockey coach. A couple of old guys in my hometown, like in their 60s, well, probably in their 70s now, dress up like the Hanson brothers at least once (laughs) a year and get together at a a Roseau Rams game. So if if you ever hear of Roseau hockey, that's that's my – 
hometown and um okay. so that's that's uh so okay um there's two baseball movies that are on my list that i haven't watched yet uh fear strikes out have you seen that one i have not so that's about an outfielder true story um jimmy pearsall i think yeah. he went nuts and like jumped in the stands and me- mental health issues so I, I don't say that derisively because uh obviously you know we didn't understand those things as well back then but then um, my Spanish teacher said sugar is really good too. And that's about a, a Hispanic baseball player. So I'm going to have to check those two out because huh. I'm always on the lookout for baseball movies that capture at least some of the essence of the game in, uh, in, in that sense. But, um, Oh, here's another guy that uh, could really hit Julio Franco. Here's a checklist for the Texas Rangers. I could have probably teased you with, uh, with who that would have been, but um that was a pretty fun team. Pete Incavelia, maybe at that point, the best college hitter of all time, would you say? I'd say he'd make a really good run at it. Yeah, 48, 48 college home runs, I think. In his career, yeah, coming out of Oklahoma State. Those teams had to be fun to watch, probably not fun to play against. Um, Ruben no, Sierra. Nolan Ryan, Jeff Russell, Franco. Kenny Rogers, Palmero, Jamie Moyer, Bobby Witt, Sierra. Charlie Huff, Chad Kruder, um, Steve Buchel, his kids in the NFL right now. Yeah. Um, Harold Baines. I mean, when you look at that, you're thinking, oh man, that team won 94, 92 games. And then you go back and look at the 90 Rangers. And I, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I doubt they were that good. Well, they led the league in their pitching, led the league in strikeouts and walks. Oh, well, I think that, that was, that was a Tom house era of um, Texas pitching. Did you guys think he was nuts or did you think he was a revolutionary or did you think he was a little bit of both? I kind of thought he was nuts. Um, the whole football business and, and all yeah, that. Yeah, the whole football business, but I'm going, you know, the proof is in the pudding, man, and your, your team's leading the league in walks. So what do you bring into the table here? Um, That's a wild thing right there. Yeah, I think Mitch Williams might have been there. Who knows? Probably. Well. They won 83 games that year, but. Um, oh, that- they could rake. 20th 20 games out because uh that oakland team <laughs> was uh was pretty oh yeah good. so um, um yeah chicago yeah, I just, chicago I, missing I the playoffs with 94 stuff. wins no i'm sure not um back back in those days how much did it stink for teams to be so for instance the white Sox won 94 games did not make the playoffs but on the the east side the red Sox won 88 games and made the playoffs did was was that something that guys didn't care for, or did they not really talk about? Was it not a thing? Because I mean, eventually in '94, no playoffs yeah. in '94, but they added the third division. Eventually, the, you know, the wild card and all that. Um, or was it just shut up and win the division, and you just kind of nut up? That was it. Yeah, just shut up, just shut up and win. I mean, yeah. you know, my rookie year, we f- lose to Toronto by one game. Right. You know, they go to the playoffs. We don't. The next year, Boston wins it about the same amount of wins in the AL East. And I just laugh because it's like, you know, look at my son who has no idea that the world used to have only two divisions, East and West. And, you know, it's Toronto, the Yankees, Boston, us, Milwaukee, Cleveland, you know, and you run through it. And it's like, and then you got the West. It was just, it was always a dog fight. And, there well, was before, nothing else. No before, wild cards. And before that, it was just AL versus NL. You win your you win your pennant and then go to the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was uh 
I didn't mind it. Not when, you know, you didn't know any better and it's been this way for a hundred years. So what are you going to complain about? And who's going to care? Yeah. Nobody's listening. Um, okay. We got a teammate, Randy Milligan. Moose. I don't remember Moose much about him. Milligan. Yep. Solid first baseman. Uh, not a whole lot of pop gap to gap guy. Uh, I, I kind of appreciated the guys back in the day that, you know, good for like 15 home runs every single year, like Mark Grace, Orlando Merced, yeah. um, maybe Kent Herbeck on a down year, uh, Will Clark. I mean, guys who could hit, but didn't necessarily light it up in terms of, uh, you know, 25, 30 bombs every year. Sorry, I lost you here for a second. No problem. There you are. Yeah, no, um, I, was, I was just hashing no, it out. Milligan came over. We had like a little thing with the Mets on a couple trades. I thought he came over from the Mets at the end of 88, you know, made the team in 89 or it was 89, 90, something like that. Mets. Came over, played first base, solid, good, great guy. Mets and then Pirates and then you guys. Very brief stopover with the Pirates. Huh, Okay. For Pete yeah, Blom. We were, we were um, you know what? He was member in the movie A Few Good Men. No. Again, I, I, I've never you didn't seen watch that movies. one either, did you? No, no you're going to kill me on these. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, okay. like, for, for, all, for all those out there that have actually seen a good movie, A Few Good Men, <laughs> you remember when Tom Cruise came in to his apartment and he's watching a baseball game? And it, well, that was Randy Milligan hitting a game-winning double off of Rick, Rick Aguilar of the Twins. Oh, Rick Aguilera. Aguilera, thank you. Um, so he, Milligan hits a two-run double off of Aggie in the bottom of the night in Memorial Stadium in like 1989 or 90. That was, that was on the TV when Tom Cruise came walking into his apartment or Demi Moore came walking in to see him. So there you go. There's, a, there's an entire like – sect of people who when baseball is on in a background of a show need to figure out the exact moment <laughs> like when uh when ferris bueller catches the foul ball and um i think field of dreams ron kittle might be hitting but i'm not sure about that for the white Sox. uh there, there's a few other ones but um but i digress uh so yeah so milligan and you played together for uh a couple, years, a couple years there, and then he moved on to the Reds for uh, as a free agent, and then was traded by the Reds later that season for Thomas Howard, who I don't remember a ton about. But um, yeah, he was. Oh, he was I thought Thomas Howard had some pop for a little short time. Um, yeah, Milligan. Milligan left us in Baltimore when we made the trade for uh, Steve Finley. Oh yeah, Pete Harnish and Kurt Schilling for Glenn Davis. That's almost like that. Uh, oh, what was the trade for Bartolo Colon and Brandon Phillips and uh, who was it? Grady Sizemore? Wasn't that a trade for pa- I don't Pedro? remember. Uh, it's gonna bother me without looking at without looking it up. So you're just gonna have to bear <laughs> with me here because it was. Uh, you know when you have those trades that pan out like like Glenn Davis is a good player, but you look back and Kurt Schilling's a a borderline hall of famer and, and all that. It, it is funny how um, that happened. Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips and Lee Stevens for Bartolo Colon and Tim drew. 
So I don't know why I thought Grady Sizemore was in that, but um, wow. Oh, wait, no, no, Grady Sizemore was in that. I'm on Grady's page. I'm such an idiot. Grady, Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips, and Lee Stevens for Bartolo Colon and Tim Drew. That's an impressive trade. Good night. I mean, for those out there, Lee Stevens also had a, uh, you know, wasn't long, but solid power hitting first baseman, Angels, somebody else. Yeah, there, there was an era there where guys, uh, you know, Brad Fulmer came up and was hitting for power as a first baseman. And Henry Rodriguez, they had the old Henry bars in Montreal. You'd have yeah. a few guys who would pop up. Uh, Geronimo Baroa ripped the ball for a while, too. Um, th- there were guys that maybe came out of yeah. nowhere or came out of somewhere with a little added uh, incentive. But uh, Lee uh, Stevens. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say Fulmer, I thought, won the Golden <laughs> Spikes out of Florida. He might have. Yeah. No, I just mean guys, though, that uh, it, it wasn't an extended period of time. You know, you look at a Rafael Palmero, who was the same guy for many years, yeah. or at least, a, you know, a real, real good hitter. Fulmer came up for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like Jack Cust. We didn't talk about a guy like this like we did Adam Dunn, for instance. <laughs> good names. I'm full of names, man. Um, you know, we, we talked about Cleveland for a minute here. Uh, we'll probably go another 10 minutes if you have time. Um, yeah. Still do- okay. Uh, and, and we'll maybe even do an episode on this. But in 1993, um, spring training, they had that tragedy at Little – was it Little Lake Nelly? Um, Steve Olin. Yeah, Steve Olin and Bobby Ojeda. And uh, when I saw Tim Drew, it made me think of Tim uh, Cruz. And then, yeah. too, we had the, the Cleveland card here. Um, what was it like – either then or anytime an active player would pass away because, you know, later in your career, there was, um, I think maybe Mike Sharperson, uh, you know, just, there, there were guys kind of just not often, but it's, it's kind of be kind of strange. These are guys are, are peak athletic performance. They're in the prime of their life. It, it's gotta be kind of shocking. Even if it's a guy you only kind of barely know. Yeah. I remember Steve Olin was a borderline submarine that uh, the year before really started coming into his own as a closer for the mm-hmm. Indians. And uh, Bobby Ojeda had a nice career, came from the Mets, you know, I think uh, on that 86 team. And he was the one who you survived. Know. Yeah. Um, and then Cruz was from the Dodgers. And so you, I never knew any of them personally. Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those where, you know, boating accident, and you just, I, I didn't want to find more. I didn't want to find out anymore. No. Um, thinking of uh, Jose, uh, Jose with the Marlins. Um, Fernandez. Jose Fernandez. These are just tragedies of, you know, yeah. um, one that hit me probably hardest was Daryl Kyle. Oh, who, yeah. Uh, I played with in 96 and, um, you know, passed in his hotel room. It's just... Uh, it's like anything else, man. You know, when a young guy passes or young people pass for, you know, way before their time, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to fathom, hard to, you know, figure out what would have happened and, and, you know, what they would have done. Right. Um, to shift gears, which is kind of hard to do. Um, do you remember who Kirby Puckett hit the home runoff in uh, the 91 World Series in game six? Because that's who we got next. Charlie. Change up Charlie Liebrandt. Yep. Charlie Liebrandt. With the Royals at this point, um, not a bad, not a bad little career. Uh, you know, around for a long time. 
that Braves team could really pitch. I mean, you talk about, I mean, you talk about any Braves team from the nineties and you could just apply the general um, yeah. superlative that they could pitch. But um, you know, you had guys like uh, Steve Avery as your number three. I think Pete Smith was pretty good for a while. Kevin Millwood came up at the end. They, they had well, some I mean, guys. I, 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 Avery was a four. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Oh, that's Smoltz, right. Smoltz, Smoltz Maddox, Smoltz. Yeah. Yeah. Smoltz didn't close. Avery. Avery was like a four, maybe a five. They had Merker. Merker was good too. Um, yep. Trying to think who else. We might need to get Merker on here. He's on. Uh, yeah. He's pretty active on my, on my Facebook. Um, well, I well, Pete Smith was a guy they they had big hopes for. I don't think it ever panned out. But um, I'm trying to think yeah, of who else. They had they, one more. They had a Baltimore kid too. Um, like '89. That flashed up real quick, had a really good year, 89-90-ish, and then... Yeah, not not Lilliquist. Um, nope. Right-hander. Not Marty Clary. Someone who was good. Yeah, he had, he had like two years in the big leagues, and one of them was a big year of the Braves. Oh, man, I can see his face, too. I hate getting old. Um, <laughs> Rick Mailer? No, he was 34. Nope. Kevin Kaufman? Nope. Well, either way, I mean, we're, we're probably not going to find it. But if we go back, I can't to think. Yeah, you know what? I'll come. Well, about ten minutes after our show, I'll come up with it. David, uh, David Palmer. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think we're going to find it. But anyway, um, yeah, Lee Brandt. You know, Lee Brandt could really pitch. Yeah. Um, 140 career wins. 33.4 war, 371 ERA. I mean, 371 ERA, I feel like in that era was maybe a little bit underrated because they tended to, to skew towards the lower threes as opposed to the mid and upper threes as far as top tier guys. But boy, in this era, if you could have a 371 ERA in today's game, you'd be you'd be making some big time bucks. Yeah, putting together 140 wins, solid ERA. Solid 200 innings. Gabe innings, yep. Yep. Um, Steve Rosenberg, White Sox, anything on him? I got nothing. How about we're down to the last, uh, four here. Ooh, there's at least one more good one in here. Uh, John Moses, a twin who I had known nothing about other than, uh, light hitting outfielder. It would be, uh, I think Darren Bragg reincarnated for the twins. Okay. That light hitting sense. fourth or fifth outfielder. Pinch hitter for a cup, you know, a little while, but not very long. Oh, and they had some pretty good outfielders back then with Puckett and eventually Mack and and um, Bernanski and Gladden. Yeah. Uh, yes, Tony, they did. Tony Pena. So maybe the pioneer of uh, kneeling down as a catcher. Wasn't he kind of curious when he would kick his leg out there to catch? It would have been him or Benito Santiago would be about the only two I could, I could think of that uh, – you know, really took that leg out and, and I would not say doing the splits, but getting about as low as you can get. Yeah. Solid um, catcher. Seemed like he was chirpy might not be the right word, but constantly talking. Couldn't hit at all. Could he? Not much. Um, yeah, he was like the, he was like that guy who you have those catchers. He had some years with a pretty good OPS early. But there's this prototype to me of the backup catcher who's a really good fielder 
who will pop exactly 10 home runs every year, but will not do anything else offensively. So I'm thinking like a, a Tom Prince, a Henry Blanco. I yeah. feel like that with a little less power was him at the end of his career, like a, maybe a Jose Molina, as opposed to, you know, Benji, who was a little bit more of an everyday player, but um I don't know. I, when I think of my traditional backup catcher, I like those guys. Uh, Mike Redmond didn't quite have that kind of power. He's a better hitter than that. But um, they hang around like Tony Pena did for 18 years. And then uh, he was the manager for Kansas City when they finally broke through again in 2002 yeah. or three. I think it was 2003. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. No. You know what? I, I mean, I, I think he got more, more, more starting time than I think you're giving him credit for. Yeah, I know he did. Actually, you're right. 130, 140 games. I'm thinking of him as uh, later in his career when I started watching, when it would have been the tail end of Boston and then Cleveland and a few games of Chicago and, and Houston. I, I'm not giving him credit. He almost, he almost played 2,000 MLB games. He deserves a little more credit than I'm giving him. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I, I, I knew you were thinking of him as uh, the backup guy, but yeah, he, he had a nice run of being a starting guy. I mean, still never hit a lot, but was, uh, I don't know, I want to say like, you know, Molina with the the way people looked at him. You, know, you couldn't run, watch the back pick, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yadier Molina type. Caught, caught 35% of attempted base, Steve. That's the kind of guy you want in your back pocket if you're on the mound. Oh, yeah. Okay, two left here. Um I don't have any idea how to say this guy's name. Don A's. Ossie. I almost said Assie, and I don't think that would be very nice. Um, Don Ossie. He, oh, he, he was, was in the he was in the Orioles organization when you were drafted. Yep, he was there in '88 in the bullpen with me. Uh, my first big league month. Solid dude, great guy. Um, had a pretty nice career. You know, I couldn't tell you. Ben, what are we looking at? 33 years. I couldn't tell you exactly what he threw off the mound, but solid dude, big leaguer, and, uh, you know, had a nice career. Yeah, anytime you hang around for 13 years as a, as a reliever, you're doing something good, or at least the last eight or nine years of his career. Um, what were bullpens like then? Did you have an identity, or were you just kind of a bunch of guys just hanging out? Uh, man, back in 88, I was just – I was one of the call-ups, so – I had no identity and everybody was just kind of fighting for their spot. 89. I think we went between five and six guys in the bullpen and um, yeah, you, you start locking in. I think it's, you know, I, I thought it was really crucial to have a, a, a spot where you knew where you were coming in mm -hmm. so that, you know, you don't surprise me and bring me in the third inning when I'm thinking I'm, you know, setting up the, the closer. Right. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up with this one. Um, third baseman, Houston Astros, future MVP winner. Um, Caminiti. Ken Caminiti. Yep. Mr. Caminiti, very early in his career. At this point, we're about 250 games in, and he has done nothing to this point because going into 1990, he's going into his age 27 season and had a 650 OPS. Boy, you could have gotten some pretty good futures bets on that guy winning an MVP in the future. Um, you know, certainly we know a lot more about him since then. And, you know, there's questions of if he was doing it clean or not, but holy smokes, that 96 season, uh, 40 homers, 130 RBIs, 
326, 408, 621 across the slash, won a gold glove. Unbelievable. And then age 33, I mean, there's a reason why people aren't sure he did it clean, right? I mean, he passed, correct? Yeah, he passed away in 2004. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. he was in like New York City and it was, uh, I think it was drugs, I want to say. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to say that. I don't, yeah. Looking uh, here. Anyway, he was, uh, you know, got to know him a little bit just from across the field. Great, really solid guy. Teammates mm-hmm. loved him. I think he was famous for they went down to uh, the Astros that year or the year before or the next year, 95, 96, 97, went down to Mexico for a series of games. And he got food poisoning and he was just screaming out, somebody give me a Snickers. <laughs> and ended up getting a little Snickers deal because it, it kind of hit the light. And that was, I think, the only thing he could keep down. I don't know what it was, but he went out there, finished the game. You know, I can't imagine that with food poisoning. No, no, there's there's no question about that. Yeah, but dude could do dude could rake, play, you know, one of the best third basemans in the game. Yeah, no, uh absolutely incredible player. Actually passed away on the same day as Christopher Reeve, who um near and dear to my heart because my brother's paralyzed like Reeve was. And so there were parallels there as far as, uh, you know, his, his recovery or how his life went after his accident. And so, um, yeah, well, that is one pack. We got through one pack today. So we've got some, <laughs> we've got some ammunition for the future. Oh, that's pretty um, good. Today we have remembered some guys, uh, have a, have a good Thanksgiving. Take good care of the pooch. You too. I, uh, I have no idea. Oh, Mine's on the floor sleeping here. So we're uh, nice. Mine was outside and found the uh, firewood that I bought one of those little seven packs. Oh yeah. yeah. Just because I need, I needed some and I haven't gotten a cord yet. And Uh, so he was, he was busy tearing this off the firewood over the back. And I'm like, he just comes running up and drops it in front of me. I'm like going, okay, that's great. Thanks dude. Can't can't keep (laughs) the dog outside while I'm doing the podcast. All right. Well, Hey, We'll catch up with you next week. Yep. Have a good Thanksgiving. You've been you listening too. to That 90s Baseball Pod, powered by Access Twins. We'll catch you later. Peace. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>